Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If somebody says, yeah, well, we're going to try and do this, and then we're hopefully going to do that, and maybe this will happen, and I'll just like, I'm out, done. Because at that point, that person is choosing to, to give themselves permission to fail. This can't be it. There has to be more. Wait, am I crazy? No. If you're yearning for more and working hard to make your dreams a reality, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Dreamcatchers. It's the only show committed to helping you self-actualize and then transcend, leaving you with the legacy you've always desired. Listen in on conversations with successful philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and founders every week as we connect with them for inspiration, education, and direction. Your host, Jerome Myers, is here to help you exit the matrix and transform into a leader of your own revolution. The question is, do you believe your dreams should be real? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and you guys are here for a treat, man. We went out to Colorado and found Chris Culver. Did I get it right? Sorry, dude. Kluver. Kluver. Chris yep. Kluver. Chris Kluver is in with me from Colorado today. They've got an amazing mission they're on, he and his wife, and they've had some tremendous results. And so I just wanted to get them in and start having a conversation so you guys can learn more about what they're what they call living life on your terms. And so Chris, thanks so much for making some time for me today, man. Oh, Jerome, dude, I'm humbled. I'm really grateful for being here. So thank you so much, man. Yeah, this is awesome. So, you know, I went real high level. I gave them your location. I gave them your name even though I messed it up in the beginning. I told them that you work with your wife, but I am sure they are wondering what was your life like before you started out on your journey of catching your dreams? Well, I can tell you that I've been chasing my dreams for my whole life. But one of the, the big things that I realized and one of the primary shifts in, in my approach was realizing that just because I could do something didn't mean I should do it. Oh. So for I've had 14 different companies. I'm 55 now. I've built them, sold them, wrecked them. I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of different businesses. And up until life on your terms, those were all businesses and opportunities that fell on my lap. They were things that I could do. But life on your terms is what I want to do. That's what I've been put on this earth for. And what it is, in essence, I think when we can transition from being in a reactive mode to a proactive mode, when you have smart badasses that are ready to go out and do something, when they clearly define what it is they want, the whole world changes. But so often we end up going to college and we're in something because 
well, maybe scarcity mindset, good intention, but scarcity mindset of our parents or peers. We end up getting a job because, well, my dad knew somebody or I fell into this or I did an internship there or I don't know what else I'd do. But rarely do we say, no, 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 damn it. I want to go climb that mountain. I want to change the world and do that. And to me, when people can transition their thinking from a, well, I could do that to, no, I want to go do that. Everything changes. So I don't know if that answers your question, but does that make sense to you? Well, it sounds like you moved to a place of living life on purpose, right? And with complete intentionality. I mean, you said you've been chasing your dreams, but those things weren't mission work. They were things to make money is what it sounded like to me. Am I right on that? Yeah, yeah, they were. And I had good success with it. And I was very fortunate. And I am really, I'm good at helping build organizations and build companies. I do, I've worked and done strategic planning for a lot. I really enjoy doing that. But, you know, the real estate stuff and things like that, I did them because I could, but it, it didn't light me up. Like you said, it didn't have true purpose. And I think that, well, a lot of it came down to, I was letting other people drive the narrative of what success looked like. And what I mean by that was we don't really know. We don't talk about that. So we abdicate that narrative. We give it away to the wine commercials, to the sitcoms, to the scarcity mindsets of our parents, our peers. And, you know, you mentioned your red pill moment a lot in, on a lot of your shows. That was kind of my red pill moment that I can tell you about if you want. But it was just like, oh, my God, I've given all that away. And I'm living what other people think I should be doing, not what I think I should be doing. Okay, so before we go to the red pill moment, let's dive into the relationships. And so usually a guide shows up to help us make that transition from the thing that we were doing to the thing we were put on this planet. to. And so was there a person that showed up for you to help you go on the journey? No, not really. I hate saying that, but I can't think of one specific person that helped that transition. You know, there's a lot of people think that success is a straight linear path from bottom to top. And I think success is much more like you throw a bowl of spaghetti out and you keep trying a lot. And it's that up and down and back and forth and squirrely all over the place. And then if you stay with it and you're tenacious enough, at the end, things start to come out. I think probably, you know, in hindsight, I've never had that question. But it's probably been the support of my wife. There you go. And the reality that she doesn't give a darn about stuff. I mean, she does to an extent, but for her, it's more, she wants to have great adventures and she wants to have quality life. So, so that was probably, that's, she's probably been the biggest influence in that. And I don't even know if, if she realizes that. Well, it's good that you do, you realize it and we're going to have to cut that clip out. So she could get that highlight for social media, baby, because I think wives always love when we dote on them and they feel like they have a voice and influence and they're impacting us for a positive change. You know, a lot of people talk about the ball and chain and this other stuff, but it sounds like she's the wind underneath your wings. And so, all right, your wife said basically, you know, don't be scared to fall, right? Like we, we don't need the stuff. We can figure out life. We'll go on this adventure together. And that gave you probably a level of freedom that a lot of people don't enjoy because they feel like they can't do it because they're going to create an inconvenience or discomfort for the people that they love and care about and they're providing for. 
Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, it ends up being more of an insecurity. And we have that insecurity. We have that narrative in our head. And one of the most basic things that we always forget is that no matter who you're talking with, but especially our spouses, they're crappy psychics. You know, we have to be able to have conversations around that. And a lot of times we have to model that by having, I call it a spirit of curiosity, but instead of solving, instead of challenging, instead of, but just sitting with, particularly with men, it's sexist and racist, but it's fair, or sexist, it's fairly accurate that most men, we don't want to hear about the conversation. We don't want to hear about the problem. We just want to go in and fix it. And that isn't what people want. You know, it's helped me, it's sitting with it and say, help me understand. Why are you thinking this? What is that there? And not dismissing it because it's real. But when we can model that spirit of curiosity, it also then starts to create us and gives us the opportunity to be a champion, not to fix it, but to support them while they figure out how they're going to journey through it because it has to be their path. But it models the behaviors then for when we're on the opposite end, they start asking questions like, well, honey, why are you thinking that? Or what does that mean to you? Or why are you there? Or how can I help you? How can I support you? And when you can start having that, don't get me wrong, it's not like it's always perfect, it ain't. But when you can help each other with that, it really makes a big difference and step in the right direction. I think the hardest lesson that I had to learn in romantic relationships was the pause to let them know that you heard their feelings and that it's okay for them to have those feelings. I did exactly what you described of going straight into problem solving mode. And I didn't spend any time in the feeling piece of it, the emotions. I just moved to, Hey, what's the most logical way that we can move out of this space into the space that is probably more enjoyable. And they weren't ready to go there with me. Right. She was never ready to go there with me. It was always like, I'm still over here in the feeling part of it. And you're over there trying to fix it, like, wait, we got to deal with the fill-in piece first. And understanding that we have to, no matter how much we could see the solution, maybe it's no big deal, whatever it is, that's totally irrelevant. It's a big deal to that person and they need to go through it on their time. And the other thing is making sure that sometimes like if somebody says something, the pregnant pause, wait, listen, it helps reiterate that you're hearing them. But you may even choose to pair it back and say, if I hear you correctly, this is what I'm hearing you. And then go through basic questions of, okay, so help me understand why this is. What is that? And sometimes even by just asking the right questions, you weave through a path that helps them solve it. And you never do anything to solve it except ask the questions, but it moves everything forward. As a basic, when I'm doing my management or leadership coaching, That's a pretty standard process, but it blows my mind, man, how people can be great leaders with strategies, with processes, with all sorts of stuff. And then as soon as they shut the door at the office and they come home, they become an idiot again, you know, like on how not to listen and how not to be interactive with work and other pieces. So, yeah, I found that most people treat strangers more kindly than they treat the people that they say they love carefully. Oh, with like, we can get away with it, which is unfortunate. Well, and that's it, right? So the familiarity breeds contempt. And then you end up in a space where you don't assume the best and offer the benefit of the doubt and all this other stuff that unravels in an ugly way. Okay. So we got the wife. She's leading us down the path. She gives us freedom to 
really go and explore. We find out how to support in the right way. And you said you clearly remember the red pill moment. I do. Lay it on us. I do. It's, I use this in my, when I do my talks. And when I'm, but I used to be almost 100 pounds heavier. And then at one point, I had my hip and my knee replaced about seven years ago. And I've had businesses forever. I still have four businesses. That's how I'm wired. And I'm used to running 100 miles an hour with my hair on fire. But I found myself where I couldn't. I had some forced convalescence. So I'm sitting there on the couch and I dove into watching a little daytime TV, which if you've never watched daytime TV, oh my goodness, that is an experience. And through this drum, I discovered what a Cardassian was. Oh boy. And I'm just like, ooh. And for people who don't know what that franchise is, it's a group of very beautiful, very successful financial people. They have all the trimmings, all the money, all the relationships all the accolades. And yet it seems like all they do is bitch. And I realized, and I got really uncomfortable realizing that I was measuring success in almost the same way the Cardassians were. And oh my goodness, did that make me feel, I won't say what, it made me feel very uncomfortable because I'd had reasonable success, but it was just like, oh man, I feel dirty. And and then I switched over to a different show. And I like these backcountry. I live at 10,000 feet in the woods. I'm watching these shows on Alaska. And here's some guy who makes like $7,000 a year. And he's got duct tape on his jacket. And he's living in a house that he built last week that we wouldn't put our prisoners in. And he can't go through an episode without saying how fortunate he feels, how grateful, how filled with gratitude, how he wouldn't change anything in his life. And it... Man, it spun me up and put me down a rabbit hole in a big way, wondering about, well, here was somebody who completely let go of all the constructs of what success was and was living life on their terms. And that's sort of, it was during that time watching TV that was just like, oh, wow, wait a minute. So it was a great experience. And what that journey has done, it's allowed us to, to nearly 10x our income. And we take a couple months off, a year in adventure travel. We just got back from taking a month off over in Nepal, doing trekking and spending time in the, in the monastery. So it was awesome. Well, how does that work? How do you take a month off at a time? How does that work? First, you create a vision of what you want to do. Because I think when we have clear vision of where we want to go, what amazing looks like, then smart people just figure out the mechanics around it. But I have a, an amazing team that's trusting around it. But Jerome, I was in places where my sat phone didn't even work. Or along the Tibetan border with, on the Nepali border at 15,000 feet in, in China. To where, and it was just fine. We aren't nearly as important as we think we are. And when we build a great team, having those visions creates, it creates a forcing device for us to focus on what we should be doing. Not what we can be doing. When I do my executive coaching, one of the biggest challenges I have is just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. And helping people say, no, what's highest and best use of your time? And how do you delegate and elevate those things to where you are focused on what you should be doing that's going to generate and drive the best dollars and biggest impact, but then letting go of the other pieces? Wow. So that's the second time you've said that phrase. What, just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. 
Why is that so powerful? Such a powerful phrase for you. First time you said it, you were younger, right? And now I, we're back to the biggest thing is, particularly with business owners and senior leaders, usually those people have evolved in their growth and they've been able to grow, you know, elevate the corporate ladder, whatever it may be, because they were good at doing certain things. But the, those skill sets contributed to the growth of where somebody is. But the reality is if they don't let go of those other pieces, they become the choke point in the growth, their own personal growth, the growth of the organization. And I have seen this hundreds of times with senior leaders. I work with a lot of entrepreneurial companies. And if you have a company that is at, you know, they've gone from a million to 5 million and the senior leader is just feeling burned out because all she's doing is working harder and harder and harder. She's the choke point in any future growth. And helping her understand that she needs to step back and breathe and think about what are those things that are highest and best use, not what she can do because her highest and best use may end up transitioning to being more about thinking. And I would make the argument that for me to take 30 days off, get way deep in the weeds away from electronics, really think the value that I bring to my clients, the value I bring to my organization and my companies is epically greater than if I was in the weeds saving money or doing things that I, you know. So, so I hope that explains that a little bit, but it's understanding that the higher up you go, the less decisions you have to make, but they're a lot bigger decisions. Yeah, because you're setting course, you're setting direction. You're not adjusting the pivot. You're saying, hey, we're going due east, right? We're going to California or we're going to North Carolina, depending on where you are in the country. And the other people are figuring out, well, this is the road that we take and this is where we stop to charge the electric car and this is where we get this is the bathroom break. And, but no, we're going this way and we need to be there by this date. Like that's, that becomes transformational. It's always interesting when the, the business has products, right? And it doesn't matter whether you're in a service or a physical business, what products you offer and how you offer them to the clients is the difference, I believe, between the success and the failure. You think about Netflix and you think about Redbox and you think about Blockbuster and all those evolutions, like not making the right decision on your product or delivery method to your clients could be the end of your business if you're not careful. And if you're in the weeds of doing what you do on a daily basis, I don't think you ever actually take the break to pause and see what else is going on outside of what's happening. We'll call it a factory for lack of a better term. So you pop the red pill and you decide to keep going on this thing, this journey. Did you have any challenge or did it just all work out? Is that oh, cool? no, it was perfectly smooth and the world was just, you know, everything handed. No, of course, it was, it was train wreck after train wreck after, you know, challenge here, challenge there. And it, it's evolution. But I think, so one of my values for Rika, my wife and I, is the idea that one of the values is always curious, always learning. I think that I can learn something from a two-year-old trying to tie her shoes to a 94-year-old who's been around the block a whole bunch. 
But I choose to look at every day as an amazing, beautiful opportunity to learn something new. And when I get clobbered, I actually celebrate it because it's like, all right, cool. What did I learn from that? So it's, I think from a, there's been challenge after challenge throughout that. But I also think the clearer we can get in the vision of what amazing looks like. And that's one of the things that we really talk about in the cohort is when we know what that looks like, everything else just sort of becomes minutia and mechanics. And even when we have problems, like when I invest in companies, I'll specifically look to see what the language somebody's using. And what I mean by that is, is if somebody says, yeah, well, we're going to try and do this and then we're hopefully going to do that. And maybe this will happen. And I'll just like, I'm out, done. Because at that point, that person is choosing to, to give themselves permission to fail versus when somebody says, I'm going there and this is how, this is where we're going. And when roadblocks come up, because they will, well, we're going to go around it or we're going to go under it or we're going to blow it up, but I don't care. That's where we're going. And I think that ends up being the point of, because we all have our, we all have our, our failures. We all have the challenges. That how we choose to look at it is our opportunity. A lot of people want to unlock their ultimate potential, but lack the strategy, support, and stamina necessary to achieve their major goals. They often try to overcome these challenges by trying to do it on their own, causing frustration, fatigue, and eventually failure. We have developed a model for a center life, AKA the red pill, to help them bolster their beliefs, gain clarity on their path to success, and provide accountability as they take action on their goals. When they take the red pill, they rapidly accelerate attainment of their goals and begin to experience a life of significance and impact. Want to find out more? Hop over to JeromeMyers.co. Now, let's get back to the episode. How we choose to look at it. So we've got this character identification matrix that we use when we're helping people figure out where they are in this story. And we think you can be the hero, the villain, or the victim. And then there's always a guide there to help us navigate the situation. And depending on where you choose to put yourself, and it's all based on the emotions associated with it, right? Do you feel empowered or do you feel small? Do you feel like you should go be taking action or do you feel like you should be sitting still? And we place them in the quadrant and we ask them, well, how do you feel? How does it feel to be the victim? How does it feel to be the villain? What would you have to do if you want to be the hero? What would you have to do to be the hero in this situation? And boy, when I say the light bulb starts to go off, when people see that they're playing one of those major roles, instead of just thinking about it's me and the world is bad, the game changes. You said something that made the hair on my arm stand up. You said they gave themselves permission to fail. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that. And I was having a debate with our chief operating. I guess I can't call it a debate, but I was having a conversation with our chief operating officer. And she said, I don't know if people want to catch your dreams. I don't know if people actually want to make their dreams a reality. I think a lot of people just like the allure, the thought of being able to have their dreams. And it made my stomach because I'm of the opinion that everybody wants their dreams to be a reality. And 
that was a quake moment for me because I think she's right. I think there are a lot of people who just like the idea of chasing something. They don't actually believe that they can have it. So when you see somebody that's living in that space of giving themselves permission to fail, do you just run away from them as quickly as possible? Or do you make them aware that's what they're doing? Or do you try to help them out of that? So, so when I'm working with somebody, when I'm working with groups or we're doing a cohort, I think it's my obligation to be 100% prepared to get fired when I'm working with Because if I'm not going to be one of another value is fearlessly giving first for the betterment of others. But if I'm not willing to call them out compassionately with the right intention, and I fully believe that if I think I'm coming, I can say the exact same words to you. And if I say it, if I think about it, I'm Jerome, I love you. And I want to help you in every way possible. And I say compassionately what I'm thinking, you'll feel that versus if I'm coming at you from a condescending ass perspective, you'll feel that in the, I think that we are much more in tune with each other than people want to admit. So I think it's important to actually what the intention is. And in those cases where somebody is giving themselves permission, a lot of times I will go through and I will tell them that, and that ends up in multiple times, that's been a red pill moment for them. When somebody's just like, holy shit, you were Wow. You're right. You, I am. I'm wow. So they realized. So I just worked with a group of heavy hitters on the East coast. These guys all had eight and nine figure exits, huge numbers and they're older and they were grumpy. And one of the challenges was that it was the idea from permission. They weren't giving themselves permission to be who they wanted to be. So I think that the idea of giving them yourself permission to fail is one thing. And that's a crutch that we can lean on. But specifically going to your point around your quake moment where people didn't want to give themselves their dreams, we have to be able to give ourselves permission to go out and dream and paint outside the lines and be happy and actually maybe acknowledge that where we are now isn't what I want, but I'm 100% accountable for where I am today. And the reality is, I told you I spent time at a Buddhist monastery. One of the precepts is life isn't fair. And the very no questionable truth about that is anybody who's listening to your podcast is on the very, very high end of what fortune has given because they speak English and they're likely in this country. They have won the genetic lottery, no questions asked, versus the people who are getting by on less than $2 a day in Nepal, but the reality is they were happier. So I bounced all over there, but I apologize for that. But what do you think? I don't know. This is something that's unraveling for me. And because I'm the one that's willing to like fight with, to help them get, like I'll pull them across the finish line. And when I was younger, I used to do that. Right. And what I ended up doing was complicating my life and making them do something they didn't really want to do. And so I learned not to do that. But once we decide we're going, like, I, I'm okay getting fired if you don't want to go. Because I'm not going to let you look at me when we're sitting in the middle of mediocrity and feel like I was okay with accepting the thing that we ended up with. 
Because that's not what you hired me for. You hired me to help you remember why you started this journey and get to the thing that you said you wanted when you were over there in the jungle, as I call it, thinking about crossing the desert so you could get to paradise. And the sun is going to be hot. The wind is going to blow sand in our eyes and we're going to keep going. Or you're going to fire me. That's it. There's only two. Can I, can I challenge that and throw a third option in there that I've learned that's been a paradigm shift in my business. And I think we're similar. Yeah. When I realized that there's an adage that says, if you have to drag somebody in, you're going to have to drag them around. And I have become much more selective on who I choose to work with, because if I can see it, and I think you have that same sight, you could see what somebody could become. You could help them find their dreams. But if they don't want it, you're just going to drag them around the whole time and it's going to be a failure. So for me, when I gave myself permission to say, look, I want to help you. And compassionately, these are the challenges, but you got to want it. And if you don't, when you are in that season and you are ready, dude, I got your back. But until then, this isn't going to be a fit. That fearlessness again, that, that generates so much respect that people are like, wow. And it's like, well, I'll pay you. It's like, no, I'm not going to take your money just to, to make it happen. You know, that's not who I am. If I can't deliver, I don't, we're not going to do this. So a multiple. On, on the, so yes, I agree 1000% on checking the interest, but what I don't think most people get on the go in is how hot the desert it can be. And right. And they don't know how hard it's going to be. And they think magically that it's going to work and it's going to work in month three when really it's probably month six through nine where you start to see something happen and it's nine through 12 where you actually reap the rewards. And then what I've seen more often than not is 12 through 24 is where it's a totally different game if they continue to go. But for the folks who start out on a journey, they don't have the stamina. They're not used to moving at that pace. That's when they start to tap out. And that's happened to me two or three times probably the past six months where people are like, yeah, I want to do this. Got a great plan, but they just weren't ready to move at that pace. Yep. Now I see that as a challenge as well. And that's where, you know, helping manage that balance between meeting them where they're at, but then also compassionately empowering them and holding them accountable. I say ruthlessly consistent in the accountability when they get it. But Part of it for what we do. So like Rika and I just did our, our annual planning. We just finished our retreat a couple of days ago. And we do a, an annual planning retreat for the two of us where we go through and do the whole life on your terms process every quarter. But for the annual, we take a few days. And I just did a quick video on this morning because I was all sweaty and I, I decided to get back into the game and I'm going to do a mountain marathon this year, which is... Oh my God. Halfway, but it's a trail marathon. Halfway point is at 13,000 feet. And I just rehired my endurance coach and getting back in. And it's like, hmm. at 55, man, I get my legs back, you know, but understanding that, yes, it is a journey. And I know that I'm giving myself seven months to get ready from where I am to get back to teed up to being able to do that race. But it is a matter of understanding that, yeah. 
you can write it down, be excited, have that visualization, but I can't just sit on the couch and eat ho-hos and watch Kardashians all day and hope that I'm able to complete that run. It's like, nope, now it's a matter of recruiting your subconscious to make those things happen. That's hard. I can't imagine running a marathon in a mountain. The air is so thin. It's a different level, huh? Well, Rika set her goal of besting her time in the 50-mile race that's here. So she's, she does a 50-mile trail run here. Wait, 50 miles in the mountain? Yeah, we live at 10,000 feet is where we start. Wait, so she's not going to go to, like, California or something? <laughs> no, she's, the race actually starts that she wants to do is about three miles from here, but it goes over 12,000 four times, I think. That trail run, 50 mile. There's a very famous run here in Leadville. We're outside of a little town called Leadville called the Leadville 100. And that was, it's the original ultra, ultra marathon. It's just a, it's a brutal hundred mile, 104 mile run. So where we live, we've surrounded ourselves with people who are world-class athletes. It's just like, oh my God. So for us, it's like, yeah, we'll go out and do that. And they'll, we literally have people come and stay with us who are doing 50 mile tr training runs. You're just like, training. Oh. Yes, it's crazy. I mean, but, but to that point, though, it's worth saying. I have a saying that I like to say it says, extraordinary lives in the unreasonable, be unreasonable. I think in so many aspects of our life, Jerome, dude, I think we are capable of doing so much more than we ever dreamed. It's just a matter of us figuring out how to dream again and look at those things differently. The best thing my partner ever did was ask me, do you still know how to dream? Because it seems like you're just living your life through all these people you're helping make their dreams a reality. And it hit me right in the mouth. Nice. Right? Because, you know, I'm there. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm making my life significant. I don't really need much. I'm just doing a thing. And she was like, yeah, no, that's not okay. And I think parents do this, right? They get rid of everything and they just put everything into their kids or, you know, spouses do this and they just, I'm just going to fall into the support role for my partner or spouse. And I think we all have that thing in us. We have that voice that's whispering, calling us to come do the thing. And I think we all should be doing the thing. So this was, this is awesome, Chris. Let me, let's move here, right? So you had some challenges along the way. I know you said it was train wreck after train wreck. What was your worst fear in the process and how'd you break through it? Oh, I think my worst fear is the biggest fear that we all have that nobody ever wants to talk about. And that's imposter syndrome. Oh, you know, the idea of who am I to think like this or why would anybody listen to me or why is, is anybody to show up at my talk or why would somebody pay me to do this? We teach something we call a life-changing goal or LCG, which is a lot like Jim Collins's big BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal. Do you have that huge, unreasonable thing way out there? And the first time I did this was about five years ago, and it's to introduce a million people to a new way of thinking impacting countless lives. And I can tell you that when I wrote that origin originally, I was crying, I was shaking, and I could barely even write it down. Because I'm like, who the, who the F am I to think like this? Who am I? And I can tell you that the work that I've done with some of the bigger corporations already 
it's going to blow it out of the water. We've already gone past that in certain ways. So, so I think that the biggest fear is around that imposter syndrome and that confidence to know that we never grow in comfort. And it's when we're uncomfortable that we can actually grow and we can become better. And it can become a habit that we can cultivate and lean into. How do you overcome that? Like, how do you break through the imposter syndrome? Keep showing up. It, for me, the more authentic I've become. So when I'm doing the strategy work with leadership teams and they ask a question, I used to think I have to know the answers. And I, by BS my way through it, people call you out almost immediately. But now the most powerful thing is, I don't know, but let's figure it out. I am confident we'll figure it out. What do you think? So it's having the, it's having the confidence. It's the willingness to fail, not permission to fail, but a willingness to fail. A willingness to put yourself out there and know that that wasn't very smart, but at least I learned something from it. And for me, having that philosophy that as long as I can be learning something from something, it's well worth the energy, even if I walk right off the edge. The willingness to fail means that you're stretching your limits. I call it hitting the fence, right? So Jurassic Park, you got the Velociraptors and they're testing the electric fence, seeing where it's weak. They're finding the limit, right? And if you don't ever reach the limit, then you don't ever know what you truly can get done. And of course, once you hit the limit and it fails, then the next time you go, you can probably go a little bit further, which is really interesting. But we've got this thing in our mind, right? We got this amygdala, the reptile brain is trying to protect us from the saber-toothed tigers and grizzly bears that most of us don't ever encounter. Do you have any techniques that you use to quiet that, the fear, so that you can actually conquer it? So there's a book called The Rational Optimist. And to paraphrase a line in there, it says, human beings are the only animals on the planet that look at the past with nothing but fondness, and the future with nothing but trepidation, even though there is zero empirical data to show anything but the opposite. So we are evolutionarily wired, because of the love to look at everything with a little bit of fear and concern going forward. So that provides more of a scarcity mindset. I very much try and live in the idea of an abundance mindset and realize that the reality is, so there's the intellectual part. And I think that intellectual part can, we can cultivate and grow and build past where we are by thinking about, no, nah, you know, actually we got opportunities here. I realize I'm a little comfortable with this, but that's okay. Yes. Maybe there's something there, but say, no, I'm willing to make the effort. I told you I started 14 different companies. My first book, Inspiring Solopreneur, people are like, oh, you're a big risk taker. And I am not a big risk taker, but people look at starting businesses as a risk. To me, someplace where my mouth could get me fired, that's a risk. So, but I, they're very calculated. So I do a lot of research. I'll weigh the pros and cons, and then I'll make the decision. Whereas a lot of people get into that analysis paralysis. I think it's a matter of review it, decide on it, pull the trigger, learn from it. And the more we can have that philosophy and the more you can cultivate that in your being, I think you become stronger and stronger. Yeah. 
And it's interesting you talked about the empirical data because I think that is the way that you crush the imposter syndrome. Because we have data that shows that what we're doing, we're qualified to do, or we are actually that person and we have the results. It's when you don't that I think that seeps in and maybe it sits a bit longer, but you've got a track record of success and everything that's tried to kill you up until this point has been unsuccessful. So there's something to be said for that, if nothing else. Let's go to the place where I think most people have the most discomfort when they come on this show and talk about the rock bottom or the rock top for you. Was there a space or a place where you were like, man, everything's on the line? And it could be at the pinnacle where a lot of people self-implode, or it could be at the bottom where it's like, I can't get any lower than I am right now. I've got nothing to lose. I want to keep going. A few years before I had my hip and my knee replaced, I mentioned I used to be 100 pounds heavier. I like to say that I started drinking in the 80s and retired in the early 2000s because I'd gone pro. So there, there were definitely times when I weighed over 260 and drank way, way too much and was totally lost on where I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to be doing. And Rika and I were still figuring stuff out. So there were times where it was just like, I had no purpose. I wasn't happy with who I was. I don't think Rika was happy with who I was. I don't know if anybody was. And I think for us to be the best us, and one of the things I've learned from that is that we have to treat ourselves as the primary asset of the relationship, whether that relationship is the business or in the family or whatever that may be. And we have to protect the asset because if we don't take care of ourselves, if we don't put our oxygen mask on first and we pass out, we can't help anybody else. But it also helps to model the right behaviors. But it also means that if we're happy with who we are, we're a lot easier to be around. We're going to be a lot more successful. And that was a big shift going from sort of, I grew up in the Midwest. The idea like the Midwest martyr syndrome of, oh yeah, I'm working a lot and I got to put everybody else in front of me and uh, that bullshit, man. We got to take care of ourselves. It doesn't mean you live a very selfish life, but you have to protect the asset. And when you do that, you become a better spouse, a better parent, a better leader, better boss. Can't give what you don't have. Uh, yeah. That. Love that. Pour out love can't care you gotta have it so all right you've made a few different shifts in the way you approach life chris today thinks about life very differently than chris before the hip surgery and chris before drinking and so on and so forth when you think about today what would you say is the biggest difference in your approach to life than you know a few years ago maybe before you sold some of the companies was it before you turn all the way in on life on your terms? I think it's the biggest difference is it's fairly been fairly recent in my thinking. And that's where the idea of work-life balance, I think work-life balance is bumped. I don't think it's possible. You know, I'm not Ward Cleaver. I don't go to the office for eight hours and then I come home and put my hat on the hook and I'm only at home. You know, you're not going to have that balance. But I firmly believe that we can have an intentional 
work-life integration. And that's what I really work on and help people with is driving on that. We have a tool and you can have, your listeners can have it for free. It's at the website called lifeon-yourterms.com. But it's a, it's a balance. It's a, I call it the balance wheel. But it's made up of 12 different segments. Take about five minutes and it'll give you a media printout of an assessment of where you feel you are today in 12 different segments from an integration standpoint. And that awareness then helps you decide, okay, how can I integrate and how can I, where are the areas I need to focus on, but how can I put intentionality behind it so it's not just business? Because so often, I think COVID gave a lot of opportunities, but I think a lot of people have allowed it to, they hide now in business, they hide in work, they hide in their phones. And I think it's wonderful that you can check your emails at breakfast if you want, or if you can get a, a FaceTime from your four-year-old at lunch, but making sure you're clear on the intentionality behind it and really creating what that should look like in an integrated form and starting to create the boundaries is important. The integration, I think, is the fastest way to getting some peace around what you're doing in life because there's so much guilt that comes in and with not being in a space or a place where you are actually there, being here now, being present, being where your feet are. That is a totally different game from, oh man, I'm over here, but I really wish I could be over there doing this other thing. And then the people that are with you see that you don't actually want to be with them. So how do they engage with you on the backside of that? I just think that's brilliant that it integrates. Things are going to interrupt other things and that's okay. You don't have to feel guilty about that. Well, and I think you hit on a key thing that I talk about and it's simple but I think it's the greatest gift we can give ourselves or anybody else. And that's the gift of being present. We are so easily distracted by everything. But if, okay, embarrassing story. For me, if I've been at the office all day, I come home, Rika's very patient. If I've been like in an eight hour strategy session, I come home, I'm a puddle. I just kind of want to sit on the couch and drool myself. But if the phone rings and it's that client that I've been trying to get a hold of that might be a sale, and I see it on the caller ID, I take a big breath and I suck it up and I put it on. It's like, hey, how are you? I'm in. But I can watch the energy in Rika's face disappear because I'm showing the energy for that person, but not for her. So, I've realized that the most important thing I can do with my relationship is when I come home is to sit down and look her in the eye and have that spirit of curiosity and be 100% present, even if it's only for 10 minutes. But it's the same thing for me if I'm screwing around or doing something or if I'm with my clients, but purposely turning the phone off and being there. So I just I, it said at the beginning, what are some takeaways? I think if people could have just the, just start practicing a little bit of being incredibly present for the most important people around you. I think actually you can bend time. It's a whole different story and you can get so much more out of it when you are very present on something. <clears throat> but when you're doing four things, you're doing nothing. You're doing nothing well. 
We don't multitask well, for sure. So I think you have a gift for the listeners. I do. We have a new cohort starting and it'll be February 20th. And if I'm not sure when this airs, but if it's after that, we'll have another one. And with that, I've brought in four coaches who are experts, thousands of hours focused on, on helping people with their mindset and limiting beliefs combined with the actual mechanics and tools that I've used with hundreds of people on creating an integrated plan for their life. And for anybody that's listening, if you use the, the affiliate code drum said, he'd give you out the whole boat, 20% off. And that's on top of whatever discount we're running right now. So if you have any questions on that, you're welcome to go. The site is life on hyphen your terms.com. Life on hyphen your terms.com. Guys, go check it out. Limiting beliefs, scarcity, integrated plan. All these things are things that we're interested in helping you get so that you can have the life that you dream of. Chris, the final question I ask everybody that comes on this show is what's the one thing you want the listeners to take away from this episode? Biggest thing is I want people to realize that uh, don't be afraid of dreaming. Be audacious. There's nothing that you can't do. Everything, all things are possible if you're willing to dream. And that's why I love being on this podcast. So Jerome, again, thank you dude, so much for having me on. Chris, this was amazing, man. Hopefully the listeners go jump on the live on hyphen your dreams or your terms. I want to put the dreams in there. We need the dreams. In there <laughs> some point. Live life on your terms and grab that course. Get the discount guys, 20% off. You can't get that everywhere, man. Chris, thanks for being so generous with your time giving our listeners that discount because I think it'll be beneficial for them. All right, Jerome, thank you so much, brother. To the listeners, your dreams should be real. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.